0: Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about how do you work with speakers bureaus? And I am really excited because our guest is a senior partner at Speak, Inc. Please welcome Tim Matt. Tom, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Hey, I'm really, really glad to have you here. So, Tim, what are your two tips for working with speakers bureaus?
1: Sure. Um, I think these are easy for me. Uh, Be easy to work with and be a long-term partner. Those would be the
0: two. All right. Well, we'll look look deep into those two tips and maybe some others throughout the course of the next little while while we talk to Tim about speakers bureaus. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Tim, what he does is he sells people legally. What it is is he's like (laughs) a matchmaker. He's a matchmaker between meeting planners and speakers. And in his personal life, he loves to play poker, and during the last year from the pandemic, he also became a really avid Frisbee golfer, which seems like a pretty good way to be socially distanced. So, Tim, welcome to Speakernomics. Love it. Thanks, Tom. Excited to be here. So let's just dive right into your tips. The first one you said is if you want to work with speakers bureaus, you got to be easy to work with. Is, I mean, shouldn't that be normal? Is, aren't all speakers easy to work with? Well, I don't think all speakers are normal, so that might come (laughs) into play there. But, no,
1: it should be. It should be. But I think it's just a a variety of things. I think I heard on one of your past past podcasts, Sarah Michelle said something about, you know, you go to your website and you have a whole form to fill out. I don't want to fill that out. I want email, phone, text, whatever, get back, you know, before I can get a hold of you quickly and you get back to me quickly. Be easy to work with with the meeting planners, my customers. I mean, it's stuff like that. Just be simple. And I'm not saying give away the farm for free, but just, you know, may help make us look good and make you look good. I, I think
0: those are things to make things easy to work with. So you bring up an interesting point, and that is that when you work with the Speakers Bureau, the meeting planner, the company or the association, it's the Speakers Bureau's client. So let's talk a little bit about about what is a Speakers Bureau and how do you operate?
1: Sure. Well, I think there's. An, I don't want to go too deep. There's two different types of speakers bureaus. There's one basically an exclusive speakers bureau, so they'll manage certain speakers. So if you're, you know, President Obama or Bill Clinton, you're going to probably going to man it, go to an exclusive speakers bureau. Uh, my assumption is for a lot of the speakers who are listening to this podcast, they're probably not in that same category, so they want to be with non-exclusive speakers bureaus. So what they want to do is they could work with my company, speaking a bunch of my competitors. So then they're just kind of farming themselves out to different people. So they're going to have all these different bureaus basically be a sales arm for them so they may get a call one day from my competitor saying hey we potentially have a gig for you for ibm or i may call and say we have a gig for you for chase and you just want these different people reaching out and you want to be in their you know well of knowledge as far as who they can work with and book
0: So I think that there's a lot of people, especially on the newer side, who have like this fantasy that I'm going to be discovered by a speakers bureau and I'm just going to work every single week for like unimaginable amounts of money. So let's talk a little bit about the business of speakers bureaus and how they really work.
1: Yeah, I I think that's tough. And that's a tough reality of it all. I get so many people always ask me, how do I get in with you? Or they just send us their materials. It's it's not that easy. We probably get 40 or 50 speakers a day sending us their materials. Just think about that. I mean, that's a lot of competition out there. I mean, we don't want the good speakers. We want the great. That's who we work with. And I, I think there's some speakers that probably very few that just work with bureaus. I think there's kind of like probably the popular word now, hybrid model in a different way. They work with bureaus, but they also do their own marketing or have a marketing arm within their own company as well. So I think you want to do both sides of that. And you know what? At the same time, some don't have to work with speaker bureaus, and I'm fine with that. I don't think there's a necessity for that. I think you just got to find where your content ties in in your marketing to kind of make this work with bureaus.
0: So the speaker's bureau's job is to help clients find the right speaker for their event so how do you as a speakers bureau how do you market to corporations and associations how do you get the meeting planners to come to you
1: well i think a lot of people do it differently i can only speak for myself i'm a big networker relationship guy i think that's where we might have first met at a pcma conference I, i might be wrong or even at nsa i've been at nsa national speakers association conference a variety of times
0: you actually have a great memory you and i did meet at pcma many many years ago
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I thought so. And I I do a lot of these industry events where meeting planners go to. And really for me, it's not, I guess I'm a soft sell. I don't go out there to, you know, pitch my product. It just kind of get to know them, create that relationship. And I've just developed through the years, you know, some good relationships. And then you know, I guess they spin it to other meeting planners saying, you know, Tim's great to work with. He's done a great job by me. And we're hoping the same for the speakers we work with. I think the speakers should look at that same kind of model, more of a soft sell and do a great job by the bureaus they work with. And that business will continue.
0: So why does a company or an association come to a speakers bureau? Why don't they just go find the speakers themselves? We live in in the internet age.
1: Yeah, good question. And I I think you can. I think there's an ease of use. I think for 90% of the speakers, there's no added fee. I don't need to go into that, but it should be the same fee across if you call the speaker directly or the bureau. I think they go to us because we have added knowledge. I agree. I'll propose speakers and I'll send it to their speaker's website directly and they'll come back to me because I think I know who's easy to work with, kind of my point one, and who's going to be great on stage. I think sometimes it's easy to create a great five-minute videotape, but does that translate into a great 45 minute speech? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But also, you know, they may have great materials on site, but they can be a disaster to work with. And, you know, that meeting professional has enough on his or her plate than to deal with that from a professional speaker.
0: So you talk about the fact that you get forty or fifty inquiries a day from speakers who want to be represented by by Speak Inc. That's that's a lot of speakers over the course over the course of a year. So how do you identify who you're going to work with. How does somebody get on your radar?
1: We really don't, you know, and quite to be honest, we don't really look at those inquiries if they come in randomly. We, we do have something on our website, which we'll give back to the national speakers association foundation money. So we'll ask them to do a, a, a certain fee for us to look over the materials, just because it takes time. We don't make any money off it. We're just trying to say, are you serious about this? But really, but the, for the most part, how I'm going to get, you're going to get on my radar. The number one thing is to beat me. I feel I'm very good at what I do. And if I send three or four ideas out and, you know, ABC is who I sent out and they book speaker G, who is you, I'm going to come find you. And that's the best way. Probably secondly, and I know there's a lot of like mastermind groups and such within that speakers use. Beer, speaker bureaus have the same thing. I have. My friends slash competitors who I chat with a lot, and we share ideas who may be new, upcoming, doing a great job for them, and we share those ideas, so that kind of helps put you on my radar as well.
0: So the the flip side of that has to be that sometimes there's speakers who back channels necessarily, maybe the bureaus go like, nah, I don't know, maybe they're not easy to work with. So how does somebody resurrect a reputation if maybe the back channel isn't good? I mean, they'd never know their back channel isn't good, So so how does somebody either... Fix or grow a reputation with the speakers bureaus.
1: I think that's tough. I'm quite honestly, it's difficult. So I think you kind of, you know, do harm by a bureau once. It kind of spreads throughout the industry if it's legitimate or not. And I don't think that's fair. But that's the reality, right? Is I don't think the uh, I'm, I can't think of what I'm trying to say exactly. But they don't, you know, that term of you know, perception is reality. You know, I think that's that's a lot that goes on in the industry. I think the best way to kind of revive that is just by getting back out there, doing a good job. And when we hear meeting planners or my competitor bureau start saying, you know, Joe Speaker is starting to do a great job, you know, we'll start looking into that again and kind of revisit that. Because at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you have the, the right chops on stage and you're easy to work with behind, we're going to want to work with you.
0: So I want to delve a little deeper into this easy to work with because, you know, that's easy to say, but, but let's, let's make up speaker X. Let, let's call her Becky And she's been speaking for four or five years, but hasn't really ever been been booked by bureaus. She's she's had a decent job and she's starting to develop a reputation. So now she's getting onto your radar screen. What type of things? I love the fact that you said that if you hear about her and you want to refer her and you go to her website and there's no email and there's no phone number sort of above the fold. Now you have to fill out a form. That's not easy, but there's got to be a lot more to this. What else makes someone easy to work with for a bureau?
1: No, I think what you said makes sense. And also just quick response time. I want somebody who's going to respond to me quickly if I need their availability or their information. But then as we get deeper in the process, it's, you know, we set up these pre-conference calls. Be great on those. I think there's an art form to the conference call. I love to speak to speakers more about this. It's not about selling your product or doing it. It's getting to know that client. It's a discovery call for that meeting professional. That's easy being on time, you know, for your event, You know, sometimes they may want you there three hours ahead of time in the green room. Yeah, it sucks sometimes, but that's what they want. And if you can look at it as the big picture, this is kind of a wedding day for a lot of meeting professionals. They're one event a year, you know, and they want to make this perfectly. They have a lot of moving parts. Just show up to those events, be on time, you know, if they're asking maybe for you know, if they say, we don't want you to sell product on site. Okay. You agree to this stuff. They're not trying to be difficult. They're just a lot of moving parts they have. So for me, it's stuff like that. Just, it's not difficult. Be on time for the prep call. Be on time. when you are going to speak when you're doing an AV check on, you know, on site or even virtually now, don't be a pain about it. Be nice to the AV people. I don't think it's a lot of difficult things we're asking. It's to me, it's pretty simple.
0: So you bring up an interesting thing, and that is be nice to the A V people. One of my early experiences when I was a speaker, and this is twelve years ago, I mean I was I was dreaming of being a professional speaker. <laughs> it was one of my first paid gigs and I was paid like a dollar ninety five and a chicken dinner. And and their main speaker was paid tens of thousands of dollars. I don't know the exact amount, but he was paid a lot. And I just was like, Ooh, and I was in awe. There was a best-selling book. There was, uh, uh, there was a, a tie to, you know, maybe a presidential, uh, administration. And we both got there. I got there early and I got mic'd up and it was not in like a Marriott. This was in like a little meeting center and they only had two mics. And when they went to mic him up, it didn't have the little like wind ball or whatever you call it, the little fuzzy thing on on the mic. And this is 12 years ago. So it was the technology was a little older and they told him it's going to sound fine, but that part of the mic broke off and he starts berating the person about what kind of a shoddy place they were working. And, and let me tell you, this person was like 22 years old. He was not the person in charge of buying new microphones and he just kept going on and I stepped in and said, hey, we can switch out microphones because uh, I'm only speaking for 15 minutes, whereas he's doing, you know, an hour. That's totally mm-hmm. fine with me. And he looked at me and said, that would be appropriate. And the whole staff, everybody kept coming up to me talking about how horrible he was. Now, there wasn't a bureau involved, but if there was, that probably would have gotten back, etc. So without naming names what are a couple of the really big horror stories of being difficult to work with that you're willing to share?
1: Uh, I mean, there's a ton and, I, and legally some of them I can't go into names for legal reasons. Well, I wouldn't want
0: you, I wouldn't want you to go into names anyway.
1: Well, if we had some drinks, my, my, sometimes I get a little, a uh, little, little chatty. Maybe we'll be at the bar. Yeah. We'll talk would, about would we it. When We go but,
0: to the national uh, speakers associations influence conference in Las Vegas this summer. You and I can have that drink and, and you can tell me who it is.
1: No, you got it. You got it. I, I mean, some things that come into play and it, it's, Let's say a speaker speaking at 10 a.m., you know, on whatever, Monday, and they have an hour flight, you know, contract says come in the night before, hotel, that type of thing. And, you know, three days before, they go, you know what, I need to come in that morning. Contract says night before, and, you know, they just want to sleep in their bed. I get that, but at the same time, it's contracted, but also it just gives that meeting planner peace of mind that you're there, ready to go. And they don't want to deal with, you know, different flight situations That's that's up there. I mean and and for me going back to even not on site is that is that prep discovery call. It drives me nuts when, you know, we're there and they're trying to learn about that association or corporation and all they're doing is, you know, hawking their book. They already bought you. I mean, in some ways, they already got you for their speech. And for me, the part they're gonna buy that book. If you crush it on stage, they're gonna grab their phone and they're gonna go to Amazon and they're gonna buy that book. So I think pushing that stuff too much just becomes a bit overwhelming and those are just kind of a couple of general things that have been happening recently or even you know on virtual right now is you know you know they're doing tech checks and I know a lot of the speakers you've done a ton of these and they're asking you to come on an hour early because maybe they have four speakers they're trying to do tech check for and their CEO might be one of them and no offense to the professional speaker you're getting paid for this and they're like I'll just show up 15 minutes before and we'll make this work so stuff like that just becomes a little more cumbersome than I and then I'd like it to be.
2: The National Speakers Association's flagship conference, Influence, is back. Join us from July 10th through the 12th for three days packed with rare insights and speeches that will transform and elevate your future. Attend in person at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas or virtually from anywhere in the world. This year's focus is radical relevance. Hear from a lineup of today's most influential speakers who will teach you how to become and stay radically relevant in today's ever-changing landscape. Network with peers both in person and online to explore new business opportunities. The NSA is taking every measure to ensure the safety of attendees. To allow for proper social distancing, in-person attendance is limited to 500 guests. So hurry and grab your ticket because spots are sure to fill up fast. To get your ticket, go to influence2021.com. That's influence2021.com to register today.
0: Alright, so your second tip was build a long-term partnership with the Bureau. So let's, let's go deeper into that. So how can Becky, our, our speaker who has now gotten on your radar, how can Becky build a long-term relationship with not just Tim, but everybody at Speak Inc. or everybody at a series of bureaus?
1: No, I I think it's almost, I look at it like, you know, you're building a relationship. You want to get married and be married for 40 years and everything's, you know, you have up and downs, but there's loyalty there. So you get it done. I, so often someone will connect with me on LinkedIn and, you know, we have 50 of the same speaker friends and comment. That's great. And I'll connect. And then you get that instant ping and it shows all their information, their fees and all the stuff about them To me, it's like, You know, you're going from first base to home really fast there. I want to go slow and deliberate. I'm old-fashioned, you know, and I I think that's the way to look at it is build. I don't need to know everything about you right away. It's like maybe how can you help me or how can we help each other by just sending that good information. Maybe I see you at an event and we just talk. It's not you overselling or, you know, if you're – I live in Denver, Colorado. If you're in Denver and you're like, hey, I'm speaking at the convention center in July 25th, invite me. I can't always go, but it's not – you know, we just slowly kind of get things there. And like anything, you get a feel for if things are going good or bad. And look, if I like you, I'm going to tell the world about you. Because to me, more great speakers out in the speaker hemisphere is great for everybody. It's great for speakers. It's great for planners. It's great for other bureaus. I want more great speakers out there. So we kind of build that relationship. I think it's going to go, it's going to go great for everybody.
0: So it's interesting because a lot of speakers don't realize, I mean, we have this community for many, not everybody participates in the National Speakers Association, but at the National Speakers Association Influence Conference every summer, a lot of people from bureaus come to that event and there's 2000 people there i don't know how many but but several people from bureaus are present but oftentimes they don't advertise it they don't put like speaking as you know on their name tag you right. do you're not shy about who you are when you're there but but i know other bureau people who i see there and their name tag doesn't say their company and things like that what are the bureaus looking for when they're participating in NSA
1: well, you know, I've probably spoken I think four or five times at Influence, and I enjoy it. I don't mind. I like meeting because these are people again. My, it's partnering. I want to meet people I'm partnering with, so I don't want to hide. I think some bureaus are out there because they want to get like an exclusive relationship with some speakers. Some want to discover, you know, new speakers. Some want to just kind of build that relationship at the bar with people they already work with. For me, I probably go for two reasons. One, if I can share information, I want to make everybody more knowledgeable as far as the bureau side and how we can partner together. And two is just kind of relationships, how I can keep those going with people I already work with. And I may see somebody new there who I've never seen, and it's probably happened four or five times. I'm like, wow, that person's good. You know? And if I can get them, you know, start talking to them about doing business, that's great. It's probably happened four or five times over 10, 15 years.
0: Now, the Speakers Bureaus also have their own association. So tell us about that group and and sort of the camaraderie that you have in in the, uh, I forget the exact name sure. of the association please.
1: yeah it's uh, IASB the International yeah. Association of Speakers Bureaus yeah and I'm actually going to be president in 2023 which oh. is probably going to be a down year for the association
0: but uh, <laughs> no somehow think that's going to be me. that's going to be 2023 is going to be boom times in this industry <laughs>
2: I'm, hoping, probably. Yeah, I'm very lucky I didn't do
0: it now I feel bad <laughs> right. for the, the people from both association. I think it was a rough
1: gig for a rough them year. It was a bad draw. <laughs> yeah it, you know it, like any other association we meet you know once a year for our main meetings if not more we have different workshops and things that go on we're meeting this November in uh, Miami, and a lot of speaker bureaus get together. We're competitors slash friends, and we have professional speakers there. We have, you know, workshops about the bureau industry. We sit around, and, you know, like most business gets done at the bar, you're chatting around, but we, we actually have, and it's a good place, and I'm not trying to pitch anything really, but there's a speaker showcase we have there where speakers can, and I think things are actually opening now in the next month or two, I think, when this thing gets posted, where you can – actually apply to be a speaker there and you get like 20 minutes. And I think it's a great spot because you're going to have 150, 200 different bureaus there who you're basically going to speak in front of that opportunity really never happens. So I think it's just a good opportunity to kind of maybe get yourself in front. And I know a lot of speakers, they've had great success with that in the past.
0: So I've never done the showcase for your association, but I I have applied to be the master of ceremonies for it. I've never been, I've never been chosen, but can you please tell the people who are listening, how do they go about, actually applying to speak in the, in the speaker showcase, because it's not an easy thing to do. They have to be nominated by a bureau, correct?
1: Correct. And I'm happy to nominate. Uh, let me know. You can reach out to me. Uh, you, you can find my information. I won't sell it to you. You can find it anywhere. T- type in Tim Matthew, and you'll be good. But if you go to IASB.org or International Association of Speakers Bureau, I think right on the homepage there i will say, you know, home, you know, showcase. And again, feel free to reach out me, text, email me, email me, type in showcase on there. And I can kind of guide you in the right direction. Cause I think it is a, is a cool opportunity if, if you want to kind of work with more bureaus.
0: So let's go back to kind of that basic level and, and, and that, that fictional speaker, Becky, who we created here, who's, who's established, but still up and coming. What steps should she take to really meet, meet people, build those relationships so that they can learn how easy she is to work with?
1: Well, I think the National Speaker Association is a great place to start. There's good information there. Um, I think talk to other established speakers, find those people that work with bureaus. And I think you can find them on any speaker bureau website on their homepage. They're going to have speakers listed there. And that's probably who they work with a lot. And I think, you know, from a marketing perspective, you know, don't push things too much. But again, I, I think working with bureaus, I always say if you have 100 make believe dollars, spend 99 of that on your video. And that's especially if you want to work with, with bureaus. A video is king as far as how we position and market you to
0: our different clients. So, as we sort of wrap up this interview, what do you wish as somebody who's worked in the, in the speaking industry for a long, long time? What do you wish that every speaker knew? doesn't have to be about bureaus, just in general.
1: Uh, well, two things, probably. One is the meaning professional has so much on their plate. I, you know, I look at it as like a big thing, like an apple pie, right? And we're just a small slither. That's the, the, the speaker. And, I, and don't get me wrong. I think if you crush it when you're on stage, it makes a huge difference, more than the the food and beverages are going to serve you know during lunch, but I think you just got to remember there's so much on that meeting professional's play. There's there's a reason it's the number two most stressful job in you know North America, and, and secondly, and I, I think this has gotten a lot better. I think one thing about COVID has done. I think the relationships with and the partnerships with bureaus and speakers has never been better, never been better in my estimation. Because during COVID, we have had to deal with contracts and rescheduling and so many different things, and I just think. Let's just keep that going. I, I think the transparency is huge from both sides as bureaus. And I can't speak for everybody. At least I know from my side, we're not trying to hide anything from the speakers. We really want to build that relationships and, you know, continue to make it grow and get that 40 years professional marriage together. So.
0: <laughs> All right. So, Tim, I'm going to ask you one more question and it's going to go back to this long term partnership tip that you had in the beginning. As you look back over over all your time in the business, I know that you have some great friends who are speakers. You know, again, we're not naming names, but what are some of the things that those people have done before you became great friends that really made you say, I want to know this person better?
2: You
1: know, a, a couple different things. I, I think they're just authentic in who they are. You know, I got to learn about you know, them and their family. We talked a little bit about our families, you know, before we got this thing clicking. That to me is more important than knowing, you know, what you do on the stage. I can find that out easily. I can go to your website and find that out. To me, that is key. You know, also, I think some speakers, you know, when they go, I think it's a great tip for speakers. They'll go, hey, you know what, Tim, I'm, I got an event in Denver or, you know what, I got an event in Orlando. I'll fly you out there Maybe we can grab a cup of coffee. To me, that shows, hey, I'm really invested in this partnership. I may say no. There are speakers I said no to many times. It's nothing personal, but I just can't make it all. But I just think making a sincere, authentic effort in that relationship, to me, is, is the key. I remember another speaker, You know, I'll name him, his name's Dean Savoco, who is you know National Speaker Association. And we were sitting at a terminal in Toronto at an airport for an event. And I kind of went, I don't know this guy well. And we waited for our luggage. It, it was it seemed like an hour and a half. You know. We were sitting, but he just talked to me. We just talked about family and kids and work. He didn't give me his whole reel about what he did as a speaker, what he could have done, because I would just stand in there waiting for my luggage as well. We just talked about life. And Dean and I, since that moment, have become very good friends. We'll go break bread once in a while, and we do some work together. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for in, in that relationship. And I'm sure every bureau and speaker kind of has a story similar to that.
0: Well, I really appreciate you being a guest here on Speakernomics. I think for a lot of people, the idea of bureaus or it's it's confusing and it's hard. And the one thing I've discovered, and I'll be honest, I've your bureau has booked me a few times, but most of my career, I have been booked direct. I have not worked with a lot of bureaus. Uh, but the one thing I have learned with probably the six or seven people who work for bureaus, because it's not the company, it's the individual agent who, who who I've worked with. Uh, of those six or seven people who have booked me, you know, one or multiple times, what I've learned is people who have been in the Speakers Bureau business are a lot like speakers in the fact that we love this industry. I mean, the reason that Speakernomics does so well, the reason the National Speakers Association uh, does so well, and the reason your association does so well, as far as the camaraderie that is around it is really because people have sort of an unnatural love affair with the speaking business. And I do believe that speakers, bureaus, and speakers are on the same side. And just because you're not working with bureaus doesn't mean that you're not a good speaker, and it doesn't mean that you can't someday fit into that ecosystem. I think it's just a matter of everything you said. It's it's being easy to work with, and it's building those long-term partnerships, and then just staying true to your passion about the, about the business. Anything you want to add to that?
1: Yeah. Preach. I mean, you're saying everything I love right there. And, you know, at the end of the day, I always say people don't, don't do anybody wrong in this industry because no one ever leaves. I love it. You love it. There, there is a passion here and I feel very fortunate to be doing that. So, I mean, just keep that passion, authenticity, and, you know, I think that
0: the speaking industry is going to continue to thrive. Awesome. Well, Tim Matthew, thank you for being a guest on Speakernomics. Thanks for having me. You guys have a good day. Hey, and everybody who tuned in, please come back every single week because every week I'm going to interview people and we're going to bring you thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast. That is speak, get paid, repeat.